Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I was thinking about the subject that I'm speaking about this morning, and it probably comes from my cautious nature. Many of you know me as a cautious person, but the subject or the the title of the message is simply the word safeguards. And when I say safeguards, I'm not sure what came to your mind, if it's a positive thing or a negative thing, but you all have them in your life, many of them, and you, you have many more in your life than you think you do. You have smoke detectors in your house, you have carbon monoxide detectors, you have fire extinguishers, you have seat belts in your vehicles, there are airbags in your vehicles, there are check engine lights possibly on in your vehicles. There are yellow and white lines on the roads. There are uh, steel guardrails on bridges and around sharp curves. And the list could go on and on. You could, you could come up with many more safeguards that we all have in our lives. The safeguards that I just mentioned, just a few, are either to alert us to a problem or to notify us to take action to keep a problem from getting worse. As I was studying the subject of safeguards, I came to realize that a safeguard can be either a noun or a verb, and that's almost as deep into grammar as I get nouns and verbs, but I do understand what nouns and verbs are. A safeguard as a noun is a measure taken to protect someone or something or to prevent something undesirable, such as a seatbelt or a smoke detector. That is a safeguard. A verb means to actually protect from harm or damage with appropriate measures or to actively guard against something. In other words, a safeguard is something... To to safeguard something is to protect it. You all have things in your life that you want to safeguard, that you want to protect. And then a safeguard is actually how you actively protect that thing. So we all have things in our life that we want to protect or that we want to safeguard. And as I'm talking, your your mind is probably going back and forth between actual physical things in your life in your house or in your life that you want to safeguard. And then you're thinking, no, he's going to be drawing spiritual applications to this. And so you're thinking of spiritual things also that you want to safeguard. And that's, that's good. I'll be going back and forth between both this morning. On May 7th, 1915, the Greyhound of the Seas. Have any of you heard of the Greyhound of the Seas? The Lusitania was the second largest ship in the world at that time, 1915. It was traveling from England to New York. And this was right in the thick of World War I. Before the Lusitania left England, the German Navy had issued a warning to all ocean-going vessels as a courtesy of war, I guess. They issued this warning that said, among other things, it said, flying the flag of Great Britain or of any of her allies, I'm sorry, said any vessels flying the flag of Great Britain or any of her allies are liable to destruction. And passengers on any of these ships should do so at their own risk. 
a courteous warning. Any ship flying the flag of Great Britain or her allies is liable for destruction. The Lusitania was the fastest, second largest ship, and it was the fastest ship afloat at this time. The British warned all of their ships uh, to take evasive measures, take different routes. There were German U-boats or submarines lurking in the water, and they warned their ships, take different routes, but if you must go through here, the most effective thing they could do is uh, sail or steam or whatever they do in a zigzag pattern, making irregular turns, not predictable at all. That's the safest thing you can do to become a difficult target for submarines. So the captain of the Lusitania ignored this. He's the biggest, he's the fastest ship he can outrun, and he had outrun several enemy vessels in the past. He wasn't afraid, so he left. And at 3.10 p.m., a German submarine shot the Lusitania. There's conflicting reports. If it was once or twice, it was for sure once. And in 20 minutes, that ship was at the bottom of the ocean. The captain of the Lusitania had 1,200 people to safeguard on his journey, and he failed to do that. There were things he could have done. There were safeguards he could have taken to avoid this disaster. He failed to do that. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. First of all, I'd like to look at why we need safeguards in our life. From the moment you choose to follow Jesus Christ. From the moment you choose to do that, from the moment you surrender your life to His Lordship, and from the moment you allow Him to direct your life, from that moment on, the Christian life is a battlefield. 1 Peter 5 describes the enemy as a roaring lion, and Genesis 3 describes the enemy as a subtle serpent. And it might be a temptation as a Christian to think, I'm, I have my devotions, I'm in tune with God, I can, I'll recognize the dangers and I will power through the temptations. I'm in tune with God, I will recognize all the dangers and I'll power through these temptations. It might seem like a contradiction, but the onslaught of the devil is subtle. When you think of an onslaught, or a, an attack, you think of something that's very visible and right up in front of you, but it's subtle. The attack of the devil is subtle. He's cunning, he's deceptive, and his goal is to take down as many people, as many of you, as he can in whatever way he can. The difficult thing about deception is when you're deceived, you don't know it, until you're presented with truth. To be victorious in the war, you need more than willpower. Because Satan will not tempt you with something you don't enjoy. Think about that. Satan will not tempt you with something you don't enjoy. If you don't enjoy it, it's no temptation anyway. 
all Christians need safeguards in their life. And Paul recognized this. Philippians 3, verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write these things, these same things to, to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. New Living Translation says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. But for you it is safe. So Paul is saying, I write these things, or the book of Philippians, I'm writing to you, so that you hear what I have to say, and it is a safeguard. If you listen to it, you follow it, it's a safeguard for your faith. And if you look through the book of Philippians, before and after this, there are a lot of things in there that if you follow what he says, it is a safeguard for your faith. And he uses terms like rejoice. Sometime read through the book of Philippians. It doesn't take long. Read through it and count how many times he talks about rejoicing or finding joy. That can definitely be a safeguard. He talks about humility, remaining humble. That's a safeguard. He talks about controlling your thought life. That is a safeguard. This morning I'd like to look at two things in our life that God tells us we need to safeguard. And there are, I bet if we go around, everybody could say a different thing. But I'd like to look at two things in all of your lives that need to be safeguarded. And then I'd like to look at several practical ways that we do that. <clears throat> so turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs 4, 23. And I'd like to look at the heart. And this isn't, you may not think it's terribly original to come up with the heart that we need to safeguard. Um, it isn't original at all. But it is extremely necessary that we safeguard the heart. Your heart is the most important thing you can safeguard. And to define this morning what your heart is, it is used to describe your inner self. The real you, the seat of your passions, your affections, your will and your motives, your secret thoughts, those things that nobody else knows, why you do what you do, but you know. And deep, deep down inside, that is your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart or safeguard your heart, that deep inner you, Protect that, keep it with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What this means is guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. Did you ever consider that? Your heart considers, determines, your heart determines the course of your life. What you say comes from your heart. What you enjoy comes from your heart. What you think comes from your heart. Your friends, your values, your responses, all of that comes from your heart. Your respect for authority and your impression of yourself, all of that comes from your heart. God wants you to have a pure and a clean and an innocent heart. And I struggled with that term, an innocent heart. <clears throat> but that's what He wants. He wants every one of you to have a pure, clean, innocent heart where you have nothing to hide. Maybe transparent would be another word to put in there. A transparent heart. Keep that heart 
with all diligence. Do everything you can to keep that heart. Keep it clean. Keep it pure. Keep it transparent where you have nothing to hide. We have a pretty good understanding today of the shame and the sin that goes with a husband or a wife committing adultery, being unfaithful to their spouse. We understand that and and you hear about that and it's, you, we cringe because we know the shame that goes with that. The betrayal and the hurt. In James 4.4, 4, James refers to the Christian whose heart is not after God in the same way. He says, You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. A heart that would rather be with the world or a heart that prioritizes the world is viewed the same as the way, the, the despicable way we view a husband or a wife being unfaithful. That, to me, that puts it in perspective. And that's the way God looks at, at my unfaithfulness to Him or my, maybe my desire pulling too much to the world prioritizing incorrectly or wrongly. The heart, your heart is something that only you know. You and God know your heart. Our hearts can be deceived and our hearts can be divided. Keep your heart with all diligence. Make every effort to keep your heart pure, clean and transparent. Make it a priority to safeguard your heart. Satan would like nothing better than to get into your heart somehow through something you like and through something you enjoy, but to get into your heart and just to adjust your moral compass by a degree or two, just a little bit. The second thing we need to safeguard is truth. Turn to Proverbs 23, 23. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 23. I've heard people say, and maybe some of you have said it, everything I have is for sale for the right price. Have you heard that? Everything I have is for sale for the right price. Is there anything that you have that isn't for sale? Don't read the verse yet. I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about truth now. But is there anything you have, any physical things you have that is not for sale? Or some things that you would sell a lot easier than other things? I have a piano in my house that was given to my grandma by my great-great-grandparents. And my grandma gave it to my dad who gave it to me. That would be difficult for me to sell. It's got value to me that you wouldn't understand. I also have a blanket in my house that was my grandma's that is a, it's a heavy blanket. It's, it's just right. <laughs> I call it my sick blanket. And that I don't think I would sell either. Um, and maybe some of you have things like that <laughs> that just is not for sale. It can't be bought. There are some things that that their value is can't be really measured in money. 
Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. So buy the truth, find the truth and sell it not. And then he adds on to that. And while you're at it, also wisdom, instruction and understanding. There are some things that value cannot be measured with money. Truth is one of those things. And truth is a tricky thing to understand what truth actually is. How do you determine if something is true or not? If it's proven, someone can tell you something. Is it true or isn't it true? That has been a struggle for mankind forever. But Jesus had an answer for that in John 18.37. Jesus was talking with Pilate. And Pilate said, what is truth? And this is Jesus' answer. Jesus' answer, the end of the verse. He says, everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. So if you love truth, if you want truth, if you want to recognize truth, you want to understand what truth is, you will hear the voice of Jesus because the voice of Jesus is truth. The Word of God is truth. The principles in this book are truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Jesus is saying, if you love the truth, you will recognize the truth of what I'm saying. So look at it this way. Your heart... I'm putting these two things that we need to safeguard together now. Your heart is surrounded by a safeguard. You're protecting it. You're keeping it pure. You're keeping it right. You're keeping it innocent. You're keeping it transparent. You're safeguarding your heart. And there are many, many things in the world and in our, in our life, things we enjoy that are trying to gain entrance into your heart. Everything that is trying to gain entrance into your heart, needs to pass through the gate of truth or to be measured by the measuring stick of truth. That decides whether or not something can gain entrance into your heart or not. Entertainment, pleasure, use of time, teaching, things you read, things you hear, priorities, friends, all of these need to be held up to the measuring stick of truth or that gate to that safeguard of your heart. Do you have truth or are you willing to sell it? Are you willing to compromise on that truth and that wisdom, instruction and understanding? Your heart needs to be safeguarded at all costs and truth needs to be safeguarded at all costs. The story is told of a monastery in Portugal perched high on a 3,000 foot cliff and accessible only by a terrifying ride in a swaying basket. The basket is pulled with a single rope by several strong men perspiring under the strain of the fully loaded basket. One American tourist who visited the site got nervous halfway up the cliff when he noticed the rope was old and frayed. Hoping to relieve his fear, he asked, How often do you change the rope? The monk in charge replied, Whenever it breaks. This cannot be our approach to safeguards in our spiritual life. If you replace the rope whenever it breaks, you are in trouble. 
We need to have safeguards in place first. All of us, every one of us, probably has avoided accidents because of steps that were taken as a safeguard. How many of you have been brought back to reality, frightened back to reality by the rumble strips on the right side of the road? You have. And it had nothing to do with this, right? Brought back to, just shocked back to reality by that. That's a safeguard. Safety chains on a runaway trailer to keep it from going somewhere. Some of you smirk at that. It's saved an accident. We use ratchet straps to hold a load in place, hopefully. Those are safeguards. All of these things are done to prevent accidents or to minimize damage of what could be. We don't wait until the rope breaks to come up with a safeguard. The safeguard has to be in place first. There are times when you might look in the mirror and you suddenly realize that you are not where you were a year ago. And that can happen. We can fall back in our Christian life. We let certain areas go. And we suddenly are hit with, with the idea that I am not where I used to be. I have let something slide in my life. I let those safeguards down. It is possible that you have fallen back. Drift. Drift and falling back in areas in our Christian life is so gentle. It's so gradual. Inroads in our heart and our life are made so gently. The only way to avoid this drift is to focus on something immovable. Now picture yourself in a boat out in a lake on a breezy day. And you've probably experienced this where you're in a boat and maybe you're fishing or just enjoying the day and you see a landmark or something that stands out right over there. And you're enjoying your day, you're visiting, you're fishing, whatever it is. And pretty soon that landmark is way over there and it's been, you've drifted. The only way to avoid that drift is to keep that focus on that unmoving object. Take whatever measures you need to do to keep your position on that unmoving object. So, as I was thinking about that, it raises two questions. What in my life am I focusing on? If I'm focusing on something that moves and I move as well, you'll never realize it. So what are you focusing on and is what you're focusing on unmovable? And this sounds quaint, it sounds predictable, and it sounds like a pat answer, but here's what we need to focus on. Focus on God, on His Word, and the principles within His Word. Those are the only things that will not move. And I know we hear that over and over, and it, it kind of, you all nod and agree, but did you, do you think about what that actually means? Focusing on God and on His Word and on the principles of His Word and then applying everything in our life to those principles. Not focusing on something else that moves. Society moves and our Mennonite culture moves. If our focus is on the rest of that, it's not going to work. Our focus has to be on God and on His Word and on the principles within His Word to avoid any kind of drift 
Now I'd like to look at some practical safeguards that we can have. We've established two general areas, very general, our heart and truth that we have to safeguard. And I think you can, you can bounce every other specific area in your life off of those two general areas of safeguard. I've broken this into two categories as practical safeguarding. One is, first of all, we'll look at some collective safeguards, and collectively I mean us as a church, and then some personal safeguards. So collective safeguards, and I'm referring to us specifically as a congregation, as a church. Some collective safeguards that we have, or that we should have, and I believe we do have, The first one is keeping, keeping the word, keeping the unmovable focus in front of us. We discussed how we need to keep our focus on something unmovable to avoid drift. So collectively, we as a church need to keep our focus on something unmovable to avoid drift. The doctrines and principles of God's word never change. That is foundational. The doctrines and principles of God's Word never change. There is a time where applications may need to change. But the replacement of that application needs to serve the same purpose of what it's replacing. So there is a time when an application may need to change, but the principles and the doctrines of God's Word never change. So how do we keep keep the word in front of us. How do we what are practical ways to do that? We do that through thoughtful topics, devotionals, Sunday school lessons, children's classes. I think we do this well. You all do well at this. I encourage you as men who have responsibilities in church to do it well. Put effort into it. Put thought into it. Put prayer into it. David Berceau in his book, Plain Speaking, says this, and men, you need to hear this. Timothy teaches that women are not to teach in church or to have authority over men, and that men have been given the responsibility to teach and preach. It is hardly fair to the sister for us men to do all the preaching, teaching, devotionals, topics, and song leading, and then do a shoddy job of it. If God will not allow sisters to do these things in church, then they are at least entitled to hear quality sermons and devotionals from their brothers, not occasionally, but all of the time. And this isn't meant as a... I'm, in, I'm encouraging you. You do well at that, but let's, let's do well. We're given a responsibility. Do it well. Put your heart into it. Sometimes my tendency is to groan. I have a topic. I have to lead songs, whatever it is. Let's just get it over with. I think we can do better than that. If you have a responsibility, do it well. That's part of keeping the Word in front of us. Another way of keeping the Word in front of us is making sure that we hear doctrinally sound teaching and preaching. I trust that if we as ministers are off track or need correction, that you would come to us and do that. And that has happened, and I appreciate it. But that's another way to keep the word in front of us. Another collective 
safeguard that we could have, or that we need to have, is brotherhood accountability. Turn to James 3.17. Brotherhood accountability. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. There's one phrase in there that I want you to catch. Referring to brotherhood accountability. And that is easy to be entreated. Easy to be approached. Easy to be spoken to. Easy to be confronted. That's what easy to be entreated means. If I am easily entreated, I will yield to other people. I will graciously hear concern from another person regardless of their faults. That last phrase is important. I will graciously hear concern from other people regardless of their faults. To hear something, to hear a concern from someone else without viewing it as criticism is very difficult to do. Because if someone has a concern for something in my life, I obviously don't have that concern or I would have done something about it. And so they're critical, right? They're critical of me. Maybe, maybe not. But even criticism. There's probably an ounce of truth in criticism. They saw something that was worth approaching. So I encourage you, be easily entreated. Hear, be willing, be, be able to hear the concern of somebody else speaking into your life without viewing it as criticism. To be easily entreated is to allow someone else to bring a concern to your life And not to roll your eyes and go home and talk negatively or talk to your friends or talk to the other people about it. Hear it and take it in, but don't roll your eyes. That's not easily entreated. To be easily entreated is to hear a concern and to honestly and humbly look at their concern and then maybe the most difficult part is be willing to change. Be willing to adjust. Maybe they have a point in their concern. A third collective safeguard that we have is church standards. Our church standards are a list of safeguards that the brotherhood has agreed on for the safety of the congregation. That's a definition I came up with. Uh, maybe time for correction afterwards? I'm not sure. A list of safeguards that the Brotherhood has agreed on for safety. There may be parts of the church standard that you or I don't agree with. And I'm going to use a word that I don't care for, but I couldn't come up with a better one. It may, maybe it's too strict part of a, the, a church standard that you or I don't agree with. This is not an invitation for you to exercise your creativity in trying to get around it. If something is too strict, if you think it's too strict, it's a time for you to believe that there are wiser people than you. 
It's a time for you to believe there are wiser people than you and this is set up for your safety. The standards are there for our protection. But on the other hand, if you feel that there is a standard or if I feel that there is a standard that is not, I'm going to use that strict word again, that is not strict enough, then you are responsible to set up a standard for yourself or for your family that will exceed that. And there's difficulties in doing that too. If there's something that I don't believe is strict enough in the brotherhood and I set up my a, a standard in my family or in my personal life that is that exceeds that, I need to do it humbly and then not be critical of the rest of the brotherhood for not having that same standard that I have. Not condemning them for that. And then there's a responsibility on the rest of the brotherhood to respect that position as well. So keeping that in mind, we're going to carry over now into some personal safeguards that you set up. Continuing on in the area of church standards, but now going into your personal life, personal safeguards that you need to set up. The church is not responsible to set guidelines for your personal life. I'll let you think about that for a bit. Church is not responsible to set guidelines for your personal life. The list would be way too long. If Todd and Claire and Dave and I would sit down with each of you and we would come up with a standard for each of your life, the book would be, it'd be this thick. The church isn't responsible to come up with guidelines for your personal life. You know your heart best. You need to set boundaries that may exceed those of the church standards. Are any of you willing to do, don't raise your hand, are any of you willing to do that? There are people that need that. And maybe, maybe you are one of those people that needs a standard that exceeds what the church standard is. You can't just fall back on the church standard. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Another personal safeguard that we can set up, and I'm going to use the same phrase again, is keeping the word in front of us. The same as collectively we need to keep the word in front of us, in our personal life, we need to do that as well. Having a, disciplining our lives to have a devotional life. A personal devotional life. Guarding your intake. What are you taking into your life through the week? And another personal safeguard is personal safeguards. When is the last time you set up something in your life as a personal safeguard and had someone hold you accountable to it. Maybe the use of your time, your music, movies, how you spend your money. And if you're thinking of another category, maybe you need that in your life. I was once asked to speak to a group of young people for a week and then to interview each one, one-on-one, guys and girls alike, in a room, go in the room, shut the door and interview them. And I decide I'm not going to do that 
just me and a, a high school girl in this room interviewing them. Did not seem like a good situation. So I set the way the room was set up was a door. They'd come in this door, you'd do the interview, and then they'd go out this door. So what I would do is I set my chair in between the two doors and just left the door open when they would come in. And I was sitting in front of the open door and the door was open and I did my interview and then they could leave. Several years later, one of those girls I met up with and she said, oh yeah, you're the guy that left the door open. And she understood why. I didn't realize it, but I was following what has become known as the Billy Graham rule. Have any of you heard of the Billy Graham rule? The Billy Graham rule, or more recently it's become known as the Mike Pence rule. The Billy Graham rule, he resolved to avoid any situation that would have even the appearance of compromise or suspicion. He refused to travel anywhere alone, with a woman, he wouldn't have a meal alone other than his wife. He wouldn't have a meal alone with another woman. He wouldn't counsel alone with a woman. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do anything alone with another woman. That's also become known as the Mike Pence rule. And he's gotten a lot of criticism for that same... He's taken the same position. Vice President Pence, he's taken the same position and taken a lot of criticism from women for that rule, which to me makes no sense. Because if something would happen, then how would they feel? It, it just doesn't make sense to me. So this is just one, one example of setting a personal safeguard for your life. And there's other areas you can set safeguards for your life where you know if you could get into trouble, you set a safeguard. And safeguards are always set in the safety zone. A guardrail going around a sharp curve isn't set 10 feet out over the drop-off. It's set in the safe safe place, safe area. One final personal safeguard in closing here. Make sure that your armor is up to date. Ephesians 6, I won't take the time to read it, but Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. Take unto you the whole armor of God. Take inventory of your life. Make sure you have the armor of God and that it's in good repair. Now hear this. Your chances of failure are greater with each piece of the armor that you are missing. So I challenge you this morning, take a look at your life. Check if you would benefit from some safeguards. And then have the discipline to set them up and have accountability to hold them. You can't have wisdom without the word. You can't have freedom. You can't have forgiveness. Freedom without forgiveness. And you can't have victory without accountability. If you're able to, let's kneel for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises in it. And we thank you for the teaching. We thank you for the safeguards that are there. I pray that you will be with each one here this morning. And if there is someone who needs to set up some safeguards in their life, that they would do that, that you could help them, guide them through that. I pray that you will bless us as a church as we hold your unmovable word in front of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.